Um, could I please get people just to turn and face towards me for the Dharma talk and just make eye contact with me? Um, it'll just, it's a little bit more, less, less formal than a Tasha. So today's the um, 20th of September 2016, and the talk that I'm giving is on the Eightfold Path. So last time I gave a talk, it was on the Four Noble Truths. And so this is sort of the last one, the, the fourth one, which um, I just pointed to at the, the last talk. And I guess the sense around it is um, that I find is sometimes we can, we can make things so complicated. Um, we're looking at other aspects and other ways of doing this and other ways of doing that. Of, of with our practice and, and with our sitting and it's sometimes really good to get back to the basis, basics. Just, just really look at it of, you know, what we're looking at and, and, you know, what we're trying to achieve. So the Eightfold Path, um, a, a Theravadan monk said, Bhikkhu um, Bodhi from America said, the path talking about the Eightfold Path, is the most important element in Buddha's teaching because the path makes the Dharma available to us in a living experience. Buddha's teachings, a lot of it come out of what's said in this path. The path, um, when he came, when Buddha talked about the path, it was like when he first beginnings, when he talked about the noble truth and he said, and this is the way you know, this is the way of, of, of making this possible. This is the way of waking up. So that um, when a student who, who, was, who was with Buddha and he was saying, look, I'm trying everything, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting really late at night, I'm, I'm sitting all day, I'm just getting up, walking, sitting, walking, sitting all the time. You know, what, something wrong. Um, and, you know, he was really, really struggling with it. And um, he was a musician and, and um, Buddha said to him, well, when you tighten your strings really tight um, and you over-tighten them, what happens? And, um, Buddha, and the musician said, they break. And he said, and what happens when the strings are really loose? There's nothing there. There's no sound. So Buddha was still again pointing to the middle way. You know, not going to the the extremes which, which he did when, when he left his um, royal life and the other way when he was in his royal life, you know, finding that place that, that fits well with, with us as individuals and, and, and with us as a community. The Eightfold Bath, it is based around compassion and love for all living beings. And so in the sutra that um, Buddha talks about, the, the loving kindness sutra, may all beings be at peace. May all beings be safe. May all beings be free from harm. Again, this is also shown in, in parts of the Eightfold Path. 
So it's a guide to help us to see into our true nature. About the Eightfold Path, Thich Nhat Hanh said, each limb contains all the other seven. So it's, it's um, one way I start, sort of like looking at it is if you look at a chair and if you think each leg of the chair contains two of the, or two of the paths, if one, limb, if one leg of the chair is not there, it's pretty unstable. So it's sort of like, and at the same time, so that's sort of the unstableness of it. And the other side is as you, as you develop one, it develops the other, the interlinked. So the Eightfold Path can be divided into three groups. There's the first group which is, is looking at wisdom or, or qualities of the mind. And these two are um, right view or complete view. And the, the next one is, is um, right intention or right thought. The next one looks at discipline or ethical conduct and that's looking at our actions, right actions, our speech and our livelihood. And then the last three looks at our, our mental discipline or our concentration. And it talks about right effort, effort mindfulness and concentration. What I want to do in, in this talk is, is look at four of them. Um, right view, and then the last three, which look on concentration. So I'm, I'm using these, which, which, which for myself I find the mental discipline side really helps in then creating right thought and speech and in the ethical conduct. So the first one, right view. So this you have studied, this is sort of like when you've um, studied and understood the, the um, Four Noble Truths and you've sat with it and become to actually realise what it is inwardly as, as well as within an intellectual sense. So, in a book by Waipola Ruhula, he described two types of understanding, and this is sort of talks about this. One was knowing accordingly, and this is based on our knowledge, our memory, and it's um, like if you were um, knowing that you didn't want, you know all the reasons why you shouldn't have too much sugar. You know it intellectually, but then you'll go out and buy an ice cream or you'll do anything like that that is actually countering what you know is mostly may upset you in some way in your body. So that's sort of like the intellectual side. You, you know it, you know, you've read the books and people have told you and you've seen it on many computers or whatever. And then the next one is penetration. So this is when we sit and see into our true nature 
and see into the impermanence of these thoughts and self-identity. So this is when we sort of go a little deeper and we start to see these triggers that make us think that we should go out and get some ice cream or lollies or whatever it is um, that we know intellectually is not good for us. And it sort of gives a little space around it because as we start to see into these thoughts that arise and, enable, and allow ourselves to sit with them, we get space around them and then we start getting a little bit of choice around them. And there's, um, there was an article by an insight group which I, I quite like. They called it RAIN, R-A-I-N. And the way they talked about it is sort of the, the R was recognition. So you, you recognise the thoughts that are arising in, in, you know, inside. And A was you accept them. And that's actually quite an important one because sometimes we skip to the judgment before we, and, we, and we miss the accept. You know, it's sort of like um, we're seeing that we, we shouldn't be having this sugar. So the shoulds come in. Rather than just saying, ah, it's there again. You know, we jump into um, self-judgment and self-harm in many ways. So it's, it's the acceptance of saying, it's there and it's okay. No judgment around it. It's, it's come up. And then the, the I is the investigation. So that's the chance that we get to watch the thought, see its life, see how it comes and it goes. And just see the, 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 like the pull of that grasping, of that habitual grasp into action. And as we realise that when it's gone a few times and we haven't reacted to it, we see it fades again. And we have non-identified with it and that's the end. So that's sort of like the penetration side of the right view, um, which it talks about and the suffering that we can cause ourselves and the noble truths. Now Thich Nhat Hanh referred to right view as the absence of all views. So it's, 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 it's quite a lovely way of describing um, when we're no longer clinging to our thoughts. We're no longer letting them drive our behaviour. We're actually seeing what they truly are. So we're getting a deep insight how um, through grasping thought we cause our suffering. So he's talking about the point where absence of all views. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't come and go but they do come and go. They drift past and the hooks have gone that are pulling them in and saying, this is me and this is me and this is me.
Now I want to move from there straight to the last three, which is talking about mental di discipline. And the first one's right effort. And I've read and, and heard many times that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the watering of the wholesome seeds of the mind and allowing the unwholesome seeds really to shrivel up. I mean, it doesn't mean they disappear. It's just like they move into your store consciousness. So right effort is directing our energy to foster and strengthen the wholesome seeds. And as I mentioned before about um, the guitar player and being in the middle way, it's been really realistic with our practice and looking at our physical and psychological capacity. If we practice harshly, we risk our health and our ability to continue with our practice. Or so if we set a goal that's just way above um, what we can sustain, then we can end up with that helpless feeling of I'm not good enough or whatever the other track our mind wants to take us on. And if we're too slack, we risk losing our way and the reason for practicing. It's sort of like, oh, maybe tomorrow I'll start. Maybe the next day. And then it just gets drifts further and further away as other interests start pulling us away from what we are wanting to do. So the other interesting thing is with right effort is we can also say the same um, about right effort of no effort. And not meaning that it's, it's the, the way of um, not making the effort to sit on the mat, but the effort of not grasping when we're sitting on the mat or when we're doing anything else in life. So it's, it's that um, complete letting go. Letting go of technique that it's sort of like you're so caught up in a technique that your mind is holding on to it. It's, it's more about keeping it really simple. If you're doing breath practice, you do the breath practice. If you're doing koan, you do the koan. If you're doing shikantaza, the same. So sort of trying to avoid the point of, of thinking, oh, this is not working, I'll switch to here. If this is not working, I'll switch to here. Because the, the, there's hundreds of ways we can go, hundreds of ways that we can play with our mind. It's sort of looking and just saying, just what's here right now? And also really trusting that, that even though we may not see any outward sign, if we can stick to it and keep doing to it, even internal change can happen. So with support, I mean like, like actually next week we start in term intensive and that's a way that we can get the Sangha support for saying, Okay, what little thing can I do to, to increase the wholesome seeds to, to make my practice a little stronger? And they can be like little things and, 
And it's actually more important that we do little things that we can sustain rather than taking on too, too big a task. So whether it's um, mindfully eating your breakfast or whether it's knowing that you've got time to study some texts in the weekend or, or whenever that fits in. Or it could be visiting people or, or ringing someone that, that you know could do with a phone call. So the aim with practice is to practice with ease. As we talk about when we say, may all pe- beings be at ease. So the next one is, is mindfulness. So mindfulness is the one that brings us back to the present moment, you know, right here and now. So this is the one where we, we have to watch out for, for, for judgment jumping in. So with no judgment, everything right here and now, it's all inclusive. With no this is good and, and this is bad, it's just it's all there. And that's, that's absolutely as it is. It's sort of like um, looking at some, someone you, you may see every day, but it's like looking at them as if you've never seen them before. And just holding that love and compassion of, wow. It's being like fully present, so you're relieving the suffering from not only within yourself but also within those people around you. Like being with a dying person who just holding their hand so they can pass with ease. So the inward part is, is when we're sitting and it's being able to be present whatever arises within us. So if anger arises, it's not judging it, it's just allowing it to arise and allowing it to have its life. doesn't mean we need to act on it. It's allowing it to come and it's allowing to look in and use the word, you know, that rain, recognise, accept it, investigate it, just, just observe it. But don't identify with it. The anger's there, the anger goes. The happiness there, the happiness goes. And the last one is, concentra- is concentration or samadhi. So this is sort of talking about the one-pointed mind. And I talked before, I mentioned a little bit about um, the types of um, sitting practice we do. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh splits it into two. One was active concentration. So that's when we allow things to rise and pass. Shikantaza. So we're not grasping onto anything. And that's what we do when we're sitting. And it could also be in the active form when we're walking, when we're sitting on the bus, when we're driving. 
But same thing. We're being present to the task we're doing and things come and they go, but we're not hooking onto them. Although you could sort of also say driving might be selective concentration because we do have to watch where we're going. So this is the one where we choose an object and hold on to it. So this is like koan practice and breath practice. We're doing the dishes, eating, closing doors. So either one, we use the concentration to help us see into the true nature of things. When we are sitting and our knees start to hurt, or our back can, we can use selective concentration to actually just observe it. Our knees hurting. And soften around it. Again, not forgetting the loving kindness aspect. And then being curious about it. And just watching as it may change. And if it doesn't, still just observing it. And the same as I mentioned before about sadness, anger, grief. We observe, but we don't need to identify or act on them. And after a time we start to see the impermanence of things, the non-self also, so the non-identity. And then when we start to see that non-identity, we start to get space. And then we start to see our true nature. It's always there. It's never gone anywhere. So now, um, before we do the four vows, well, after we do the four vows, I've just got a couple of questions that we can split into two groups, maybe if we split right down the middle and um, this side stay in here and this side can go down to the back room. Um, And a couple of questions. So one, um, you know, what brings us joy and ease in our practice? And the other one is, what can we do to keep our practice alive and fresh? And there's another question there, but I won't read it out because I'm not sure whether we'll get to it. Okay, the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate The great way of Buddha I vow to attain 
All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Down the gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot down the gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. Just before we split off, the reminder that it's term intensive next week. So um, there's a form online that you can um, sign up to. Um, otherwise, come along and see yourself.